welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on September 4th, Lord's Day Service. This morning is the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. We're currently emphasizing, as I've been preaching for several weeks, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, excuse me, 6, verse 4, where he says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is, the paideia of the Lord. One of the places that that word in Greek, paideia, is found more often than anywhere else is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, where we will read this day, beginning in verse 3. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to blood, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be weary when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for showing your love to us, not only in the things we enjoy, but in the chastening we receive. Thank you for claiming us and doing so through suffering. As we receive the words now, open our hearts and speak through me, your servant. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you were raised in the South, you probably at one time or another heard the phrase, usually given before a spanking, this hurts me more than it does you. As a child, I remember at times doubting that sentiment. But now I can say, as a parent, discipline is hard, both for the one receiving it as well as the one initiating it. When we come to a passage like Hebrews 12, 
We often take all of these words about chastening, about discipline, and we apply them simply as take your spiritual spanking well. But these verses are much more. They reveal the work of discipline or paideia as well as the hope of discipline. So yes, there's a work that we read about. It's a work that God does for us and we as parents are called to enact with our children, but it doesn't stop with just the work. It doesn't say, God's treating you this way, deal with it, sucker. It's hope. There is hope behind what he is doing. Not just for us as parents as we are participating in this work to which he's called us, but there is hope for all of us. Whatever your age, whatever you're facing, there's hope in the work God is doing in your life. So we begin by looking at the work of discipline. Paideia, that is the process of being formed in and by Christ, the process that parents are called to help their children, to, to, to raise their children, to train them in, paideia is a way of life. It's not something we do at specific times when someone gets out of line. That word is used four times in this passage. It's translated words like chastening, discipline, or exercise. The author of Hebrews was writing to Jewish Christians who were under affliction at the time. We heard this morning about various waves of persecution that the church faced both in its early period and then a little bit later on within the first few hundred years of its history. Well, the author was writing to Christians who had been Jews who turned from Judaism and they were under affliction. They were tempted to return to the old covenant, to, to their old Judaism. And the author is encouraging them here by saying that God is working through the suffering that they are facing, through their affliction to form them, to discipline them. We are living image bearers of our Creator. He is constantly shaping us into a better reflection of Him in this world. But we don't start out as mature image bearers. We have to be crafted. It's through hardship, testing, and suffering that we are chiseled, carved, and sanded, formed into to the specific shape for which God designed us. Paul calls us in his letter to the Corinthians a living temple. We are his temple, and each brick in this temple is a statue. It is a miniature image bearer, but it's not dead. It's not just a brick. It is one that is filled with life, and that life is given by the Spirit of God. 
So this temple is not just stones. They are living stones. They are growing, and those stones are crafted. But the crafting is hard. It's a work. No one looks forward to suffering. No one says, man, I'm just not mature enough. I'll, Lord, please send me some more suffering so I can be more like you. Maybe you've heard somebody pray that. I know I probably should, but I don't. I'm confident he'll bring it on his, in his own good time because he loves us. Everyone wants to be the old, mature man or woman who just exudes godly wisdom. Everyone wants to be the sage. No one wants to do what it takes to become the sage. It's not just reading big books and memorizing chunks of them. It's not having perfect logical arguments by which you can decimate an opponent in a debate. That's not what wisdom looks like. Wisdom comes through affliction, through applying what we have learned about God into the daily walk with God. Our job as parents is to pursue this with our kids. Our homes should be a place of shaping, teaching, nurturing, correcting, and preparing. These, all of these things, that these different elements of shaping, teaching, and so on, they are like tools in a toolbox. Correction is one tool. It's not the only tool. Formation is the entire process. Correction is one part of formation. And sometimes we can become confused. We think, my job is to correct. I play spiritual whack-a-mole. I see an action, whack. Another one, whack. Don't do this, don't do that, stop that. You know what's going to happen if you do that. And then, and, and then we actually, we fulfill our promises like good parents. We... We've all been taught, don't just say, I'm going to do X. You actually have to do it. And then we do it, and we walk away saying, man, I'm a good parent. I didn't even, I didn't even warn that kid that time. I just went ahead and pursued it as I told him I would. Well, that's good. That is. We should be consistent, all of those things. But if that's the only tool you have, it's not going to be pretty. You've heard the expression, when your only tool is a hammer, everything is a nail. When your only tool is correction, everything looks like something to be corrected. If correction is your only tool, you can't properly fulfill your work as a steward of these wonderful little image bearers under your care. Yes, we're craftsmen. We're also farmers. We're gardeners. We're cultivators. This is a big job. To do the work of Paideia, to learn the discipline of God to which we are called, it's just that. 
It, it's something we must learn. Learning discipline is not just I read all the instructions and then I do them. Yes, that's where you start. But our homes will not be places of formation and reformation unless we are willing ourselves to be shaped and formed by God. Everybody wants to do the shaping. We don't want to be shaped. It's not a situation, though, where we say, well, I'm, I'll receive what I need from God, and then when I hit the ripe age of 26, I'll be prepared to deal with anything that comes when I have kids. Some of the wisest people I've spoken with in their 70s and 80s will say, it doesn't stop. It never stops. There's always something else to be shaped. There's always something you're having to learn. It's only when we hit a point where we say, no more, I'm done, I've learned what I need to know, and we start to focus inward that we become brittle, calloused, and then consequently unable to help those around us. We train our children in Christian paideia while God is training us. Christian formation is not just something we do to others. It's something we first receive from God and then pass on. Therefore, we must beware the, the temptation to pride in this calling. Every action, every word that we speak communicates much more to your kids than you can imagine. Your impatience in the midst of their weakness, your condescension towards them when they sin is clearly understood. Have you ever corrected one of your kids before and you, you used all the right Bible words? You, you read all the books. You know what the books say to do. And you say the words. And you see the pain and the heartbreak in your kid's eyes and you think, I don't understand. I said what I'm supposed to say. Why are they not responding with either a good attitude, or why does it look like I've made things worse? Because the way we say it, our emotion, our attitude towards this child in the correction is louder than any word you use. Now, it doesn't mean you can say whatever words you want to, okay? That's, that's not the point. But they hear not only what you're saying, they hear what you are communicating. So we have to guard ourselves when we guide, when we correct. So when you talk with your kids, when you teach them, when you correct them, do you thunder from Mount Sinai? Do you, supply, do you display your wisdom and superiority like a peacock strutting its feathers? Or do you come alongside 
them as one who can sympathize with their weaknesses, being at all points tempted as they are. Who does that remind you of? Who does Scripture say did that? That's Jesus. This does not mean you should not exercise authority. I'm not saying that we pretend like we have nothing to give. Your kids need you to exercise authority. They need you to show confidence in your calling. That gives them confidence in their calling. So they need that from you. But it doesn't mean, exercising authority doesn't mean disdain for their struggle. So parents, we must receive formation in humility. Receive the work God is doing in us while we are participating in the formation of our kids. We can't separate this work of discipline, though, from the motivation behind discipline. And we're told clearly in Hebrews 12 what the, what the motivation is. It's that we belong to God. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? The suffering, the trials, the testing you are going through is because he loves you too much to leave you as you are. You have too much potential for him to let it go to waste. Therefore, he corrects you, he stretches you, he pushes you further than you think you can go. Kids, listen to me here. Your parents love you. I am confident of that. But you know, and your parents know, that there are sometimes when we correct our kids, you know sometimes that we got a little bit of sin in our correction. Right? Sometimes we don't correct with, with patience. Sometimes we're not loving. Sometimes we say things, or sometimes the way we say things, you know, dad's angry right now. Well, look, so first of all, I'm going to tell you kids, that's not the time to talk to your parents about anger, okay? That, 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 that's, that's not helpful. That, that, that's not how you help us grow. Pray quietly. But you know sometimes we, we do things and, and we're doing it not just with a perfect attitude. Your parents are human, and they sin. But if you think, kids, if you think that your parents are, are being too hard on you, and not just when they're correcting you, if you think, I've got too many chores, I've got too many responsibilities, I can't do this, you're asking me to do too much. Why? 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 God is working through your parents. Even, here's good news, even when your parents are in sin, God is still working through them in you. And adults, you know this is true for us as well. 
I mean, we're, we are confident as parents how God can use us in our kids' lives even when we're in sin, right? We have faith. We believe that he'll do that. Parents, are you confident that God is working in you when someone else does something that's sinful? When a boss says something or when a friend does something, do we believe at those times that he loves us? No matter what, no matter how old you are, no matter who it is that's doing something that you don't like, it is your heavenly father who is working. He knows you. He loves you. And he knows what you need right now to face. He knows what you need to face to become more like him because he is shaping you. I can't tell you why you've had to face the situations you have in your life. Every person in this room has gone through suffering. There are things that you've told others about and there are things you've not told others about. There are things that you face no one knows about. And you have undoubtedly asked at some point or you've thought, why? Let me tell you this. The more we participate in the suffering of Christ, the more we are armed to do the work of Christ in the world. The more we participate in the suffering of Christ, the more we are armed to do the work of Christ in the world. So his motivation is because you belong to him. He is claiming you in these trials. So we know that discipline, that being formed is hard. Not just the correction, but the things that we go through that it's not our fault. But they're just hardships. So in the midst of all this stuff, and whether you are four years old or whether you are 94 years old, you have to keep your eye on the hope of discipline. And there is hope. And that hope is found in verses 10 and 11. Where he says, They indeed, that, that is, children in, in, indeed for a few days were chastened, or excuse me, parents chastened their children as seemed best to them. But he, that is God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who were exercised by it. Brothers and sisters, there is a rhyme and reason to this epic story. It's not just your story. It's the story of every person who belongs to Christ. Parents in each earthly household discipline their children and they discipline them in the way that they think is the best. But it doesn't look the same. The way you work in your kids, the way you train them, is, may be different from the way that I do. Yes, we're all trying to train them to love Christ and to love their neighbor. But it's going to look different. 
But the author says that Yahweh trains his children for their mutual profit. Now that word profit is really interesting. It's the Greek word symphoron. We're familiar with the prefix S-Y-M, sim, as in the words symphony, symbol, or sympathy. That prefix means to bring, some, to bring several things together for a mutual purpose. So when a symphony comes together, each member of the symphony brings his individual instruments and they are all united by the maestro to play together. So you have parts who are brought together and they play the same piece of music, but the trumpet player may not know what the violin player is playing because the trumpet player has his music, the violin player has his music, the flute player her music, and so on. So you don't know what's written on someone else's music, but then when the maestro is bringing all of it together, it sounds wonderful. That's the prophet to which our Father brings us. That's what his discipline does to us. Yahweh prepares or disciplines us individually, just like musicians would practice to play their instrument, that they would prepare individually. So he, God is doing this in you individually, but then he is also symphonizing us. He's training us to work together. So his discipline in your suffering and your suffering and your suffering, all of this as we are being formed, he is forming us together. He's forming us for the profit of his kingdom. So it's not just that he's bringing you individually to glory, he's bringing all of his people to glory together. That's the hope of discipline. Your story is not your own. Your life is not your own. What he's doing in you right now is meaningful, not just for you. It's meaningful for more people than you can imagine. It's going to affect people in God's kingdom 10 generations from now. And you won't see it. One day you will. One day you will. All the stuff we face, verse 10, he says, makes us partakers of the holiness of Christ, our great high priest, the one who passed this way before. When we count it all joy when we fall into various trials, when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, when we receive correction submissively, we partake in the holiness of Christ. We imitate the way of Christ who endured the cross and faced down the taunts of men. We imitate his way, and we are being shaped into the living stones of his new temple. So this is how the first two verses of Hebrews 12, which we did not read, it's how those verses connect to our passage. 
As Yahweh who took on human flesh, Jesus experienced the plight of human hunger, thirst, sadness, and temptation to sin. He faced our struggles and through them demonstrated His completion. But not only did He face all these things, He did so in perfection, ultimately dying and rising again so that we may in turn do the work that we're called to do. So we look to Him as, as we're told in Hebrews 12 to looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I used to wonder, how, how does looking to Jesus tie into to facing sin? Because Jesus never sinned. He, he didn't sin. No. But he was, he understood throughout his life, he faced things as a man, as the God-man, that he did not face before as God. And we can look to him as the one who gives us hope because everything you face, every, every trial that you come through, when you do so in submission to him, you are made a partaker in the suffering of Christ. You play a part in that suffering. And if you participate with him in his suffering, you will also participate with him in his glory. Where then do we start with this? Simply, we start by receiving the chastening of the Lord in your own life. Submitting yourself to God as your faithful creator. Yield to his formation. And in turn, imitate this disciplinary work before your children. Do the Christ-like work of shepherding, teaching, and correcting them. And do so in love. As God does for us, remind them of your love and remind yourself, as well as them, that in all these hard things, God is working for the blessing of you individually, of your household, and the blessing of His kingdom. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.